When I met Jesus, I remember pain that existed dormant in my heart, boiling to the surface. And I remember weeping as I experienced his love. Now, this has happened many times in my life since. But when I met Jesus, there was something that came up and out of me that he brought healing to. His love poured in and other stuff got forced out. As he poured in, there was a healing, a deliverance that began to take place in my life. And, and it was emotional. There was an experience of encountering Jesus and my life changing. When I think about that, those days, when I think about being in God's presence in a way that was causing me to erupt in emotion, the joy of my salvation, or his healing presence, that healing balm causing me to emote. Like, when I consider these things, it's very easy for me to begin to experience them again. Have you ever told a story, and as you're telling the story, you begin to be re-fired back up? You told an adventure story, and, and after the story's done, you know, you're sitting around the campfire, and you're talking about how, you know, crazy your young days were, and, and then suddenly we're asking ourselves a question, like, all right, when are we going again? I, I would, uh, I, I've been on many extreme snowboarding trips in my life, and when I was in the service, we were stationed in Germany, and about every other weekend, I would find myself in the Alps, Swiss Alps, snowboarding. And there were times, in fact, it would be rare for us to come back from a trip, a weekend trip, you know, out in it, back country, rarely on the official slopes, always pushing the edge. But it would be rare for us to come back without a story that went something like this. We almost died. <laughs> it was awesome. When I think about those moments, I can rekindle in my heart the state of being that I experienced in those moments. Can you do it? I'm sure you have stories like that. Stories of maybe when you, you met your spouse, the butterflies, and, you know, the first time you kissed, that falling in love experience. You can rekindle. You can think about those things. You're able to touch the emotion of a previous experience by choosing to value, honor, and draw it back up. And what's amazing about that is that when you do that, you will be experiencing again the thing that he that happened to you. When we talk to uh, couples that are going through marriage counseling, you know, one of the things I'll encourage them to do is remember. You know, remember the height from which you've fallen. Remember the deeds you used to do in love. I'm quoting Bible at you because Jesus said it to the church as well. But husbands, man, remember and recultivate by experiencing your heart again what you felt in the beginning, what you experienced in the beginning, and then choose to act upon it. And you'll watch as you repent, return, and receive. You'll step right back into that experience that you had back in the beginning. It's an antidote for dying marriages, by the way. Stop rehearsing the last fight and go back to the last time that it was fire. <laughs> when we 
draw back into our hearts memories. There's something that begins to take place. We begin to cultivate within ourselves the same atmospheric conditions that took us there in the first place. Now, I can talk to you about this kind of experiences. It's kind of a low level. It's natural. You know, these are normal everyday experiences. If you rehearsed for me what your last work day was, whether it was good or bad, we probably, by you just talking about it, could rekindle your experience just from your last work day. It's a natural experience. It's normal. I want to tell you, though, that that same process for cultivating and remembering is how we create a prophetic atmosphere where the testimony of Jesus begins to prophesy and create the same experiences for other people. If you go to a person who does not know Jesus and you begin to tell them your story of salvation, you begin to talk to them about how Jesus touched your life and he healed you and you, when you received him, when you believed, something changed. When you testify, it sets an expectation in their heart. It creates an atmosphere where they now have opportunity to encounter him as well that your story released spirit and truth. Come on, you got to keep with me today. That if you share the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done in your life, not a four-point plan that Billy Graham came up with, not the spiritual laws, not Bible text. Good news is your story your testimony carries the power of God for others to encounter. It's your testimony. I, I hope that it's doctrinally accurate, but here's the deal. Like everyone in the first century thought the New Testament believers were crazy and that they were violating the old covenant, even though they're fulfilling it. So I just want to like encourage you like, hey, it, you don't have to, when you're sharing the good news of Jesus with somebody, when you're telling a testimony, uh, you don't have to pull up chapter and verse to quote Bible to them. That's not what's carrying the power. It's the encounter you had that you're now imparting. Hmm. I think that... Um, that God is really, truly wanting to move in power in his church today. I really do. Um, I'll just say some bold things. The stuff that we saw like Asbury and other places, just the signs of the beginning of something. There's a stirring in culture right now. I don't think it's an accident that you have a movie like The Jesus Revolution that is telling the story of what God did in a generation it, it's proclaiming the testimony of what God did and what's that doing? It's setting an atmosphere for other people to encounter. You know, I, I don't need Hollywood to be the one that's prophesying to us, like, because we've been saying it now for years and years. No, there really is a move of God at hand. We have a responsibility, though. There's a response that we are, if we will enter into it, there will be a flow of heaven that comes through this church, through our community. You will see revival in your family, but it requires you to respond, to make some decisions. And what I'm telling you today, it's, I'm, I'm trying to help you. I'm giving you a tool. Our job is to release spirit through our words. Our job is to create atmosphere that people can encounter. We do that by testifying of what Jesus has done. When you communicate what Jesus has done for you, it doesn't need to be eloquent. When it's authentic, there is an encounter with God that's possible for the people that heard. This is... Um, 
I, I have several passages of scripture that I'm going to blast through. I'm going to just kind of layer in truth, and then we're going to draw a conclusion at the end. I'll make, turn it into a nice pretty bow, okay? But it might be a little messy to get there, okay? But I'm going to do layer on layer, rapid fire. I need you just to, like, to follow, grab hold of truth, and understand that we're going to draw it back together in the end. And in the end, you're going to see something it's an invitation, I believe, from the Lord to us as a community that if we'll embrace, if we'll activate, if we'll step into this, that we really will be first, we're, we're right on the edge of wonderful and amazing encounters with God as a church community. This is Proverbs 2, verse 1. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commands with you, within you, if you will make your ear attentive to wisdom... And I'm going to keep adding the if you because that's the first phrase there, right? So this is an if-then statement. Look at all the ifs. If you will receive my words, if you will treasure my commands, if you will make your ear attentive to wisdom, if you will incline your heart to understand, if you will cry out for discernment, if you will lift your voice for understanding, if you will seek as silver and search as a hidden treasure, if, 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 then what? Then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. That is Old Testament terms for you will encounter him. If you will respond to his voice, then you will encounter him. If you will Hear what he's asking you to do. Ask questions. Respond. Interact with him. If you will, not just, not just go, oh, that was a nice Bible verse and move on. If you'll take it a step deeper. I, uh, so many times, I, I love, listen, Nicole and I have eight children, right? And we love every phase of parenting. Like all of them. Terrible twos. Are you kidding me? They're the terrific twos. Right? Like, I love it. I love every aspect of it. Now, we've gotten pretty good at this process. Like, I look at young parents as they're, like, encouraging them to stand up and walk. Are you kidding me? No, 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 no. Tie their shoes together and push them down. Don't let them stand up. You can milk that phase for at least another six months. You don't need to be... As soon as they start to walk, what's going to happen? You have stairs to deal with. you got all sorts of issues. No, no, no. Keep them on the floor. All right. We have eight kids. We've been through many phases of parenting. Our oldest is 20. Our youngest is four. We're in the throes of it right now, but we've walked through each phase. And can I tell you that I have so thoroughly enjoyed every phase of parenting. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Love it. When the kids begin to ask deeper questions because they're understanding, wow, is that fun. When, when, when mom and dad share something with them and then they turn and they ask an intelligent question that deepens the conversation, I know that that now becomes the context that I'm going to begin to be able to, to teach them. I'm going to begin to be able to help them to make good choices in life and impart wisdom. There's something amazing that happens there. That kind of level of conversation, though, doesn't happen until they're able to reciprocate a question and an intelligent question. Okay, if we're talking about the stars and the heavens and then one of the kids asks about macaroni and cheese, I know we're not on the same page. <laughs> but if we're talking about the heavens and suddenly my child is like, hey, Dad, that constellation there, you're telling us about this. How does that mean in context of what Christ has done in the story? Like, and suddenly we're having this deep conversation. This is what this is saying. This is what Proverbs 2 is saying. Solomon is responding to his father, King David, and he's asking deeper questions. Solomon's recording the types of conversation, and David is saying to Solomon, if you will begin, like, trust me, son. Listen to what I said. Obey the command. Ask deeper questions. Find out why we do that. Engage it. 
And in your engaging, it's going to unlock something. It's going to unlock the encounter with God. Now just pause for a moment. How does David know that? Because that's David's testimony. Because David knows that God wants to encounter his son. That's not information just available to every normal person in that day. That's, that's firsthand revelation. David encountered God, and now he's offering it to Solomon. Friends, Jesus came from the Father, was the exact representation of the Father, the Scripture says. Jesus through his discourse with his disciples, through his life, displayed what it is like to live with the Father hand in hand. Jesus resurrects from the dead, ascends to the Father, and leaves his disciples with this. You know me. I know you. You're never going to be alone because I have imparted to you the spirit that's in me and now resides in you. The life that was in me, the eternal life that you experienced as I minister to people, it's not just around you, it's now in you. You now are a part of the story, Jesus is saying. You have received my words and my words dwell within you, he said. And if you'll keep my words, if you will, if you'll keep my commands, if you'll hold them like treasure, if you will ask deeper questions of my spirit, if you will, if you'll pursue them, if you will do them, then the life that you saw manifesting in and through me, Jesus says, will now manifest through you. Huh. Look at, uh, quit asking questions. Let's keep going. Come on, you're interrupting. John 4. I gotta keep going here. John 4, verse 19. Jesus is at a well in Samaria. And there's a woman who's come out to that well. And if you know the story, or if you've watched, how many have seen the show, The, the, the Chosen? Like, oh man, that scene with the woman at the well is just like one of my favorites. I was gonna show it, I was thinking about showing it today, but it just, it didn't work out. But that, there's such an expression there of authenticity, I just love it. It made the story come alive, but um, I wanna lay a layer for you here though. Look at, the woman says to Jesus, Jesus says, hey, can I have a drink of water? She's arguing with him. Jesus eventually has to use a word of knowledge to convince her that he's really trying to interact with her, that he actually wants this interaction. She doesn't believe it. She's dismissing him. Eventually she realizes, oh, you, you're, a, you're a prophet. And you know things about me. And so, okay, if you're a prophet, I'm going to interact with you on that level. And so, verse 19, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. I perceive you're a prophet. You told me about myself. That word prophet means something, by the way. This is, I, I don't know why we stopped using this definition, but the word prophet literally means someone who goes before the experience that's going to come after. That's all it means. A prophet lives it before other people are going to come after so a prophet prepares the way so that when God comes, the people are ready. That's what a prophet is. The prophet will get a message before it's time for the message to become fulfilled so that they can preach the message, and when it comes, you're ready. That's why at church we seem to always stumble into things on time because we're letting the Lord lead us like that. Can't tell if you're listening or you're falling asleep here. 
The woman said, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Oh, you're somebody that goes before. Got it. Well, then I have a question. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people, I love that, you people, <laughs> say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. We experience God here, but you people say the only place to experience God is there. Where should we worship? It's her question. Where ought we to worship? Jesus says to her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming, okay? He's functioning as a prophet. He's telling her ahead of time, this is what's about to happen. An hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and then he switches gears and he goes, and now is. He just opened the door for her. You can now experience what I'm telling you. He prophesied it and made it available. It's pretty awesome, actually, this moment here. And now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in Spirit and truth. Everyone say spirit and truth. For these are the people the Father is seeking to be his worshipers. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, listen, I know the Messiah is going to come. And when he comes, he'll explain this to me. Do you ever feel that way leaving church? You're like, Pastor Jamie, you functioned as a prophet today, and I have no idea what you said. I'm sure that someone will explain it to me later. Anybody? Bueller? Bunch of us? Yeah. I feel that way every week. God, I don't know what I said, but I'm sure you'll explain it to me. Jesus says, I'm he. Okay. This moment there's a principle that's here. I've been kind of alluding to it throughout our conversation so far, but I want you to see this because Jesus says to her, this worship, this encounter, this expression where we're in God's presence, where we can commune with the living God, where we're connected to God. See, her fathers, the, the people that have gone before her, they worshiped on the mountain that they were at this well at. And so they would have, in those days, had experiences and encounters with God in that place. And if you go back to the Old Testament, you can read about the encounters that took place on that mountain. People encountered God there. The Jews are saying, no, you have to go to the temple because that's where the Ark of the Covenant is. That's where the manifested presence of God is. It's been this way throughout the Old Covenant that in the tabernacle, God's presence would manifest over the Ark of the Covenant, that that's the place where you make sacrifices. That's the place where you encounter God. That's the traditional place where this thing is available to them. Jesus says to her, there's an hour coming. It's now available to you because he just handed it off to her. But there's an hour coming where it's neither nor it's not Bethel Redding. It's not Kansas City IHOP. It's not the House Church Egan. It's not Jesus Culture Sacramento. It's not Jesus Image Orlando. It's not any, it's not Hillsong. It's, it's not Holy Trinity Brompton in England. It's not, you know, your Alpha Course. It's not your Alpha Retreat. It's not your Men's Retreat. It's not your Holy Spirit Weekend. It's not the Holy Spirit Conference of the Lutheran Renewal. It's not the Jesus people movement. It's not, it's not these things. That neither nor. It's not a place at all. It is spirit that you encounter God. Y'all, you got to catch this one. You got to catch this one because as soon as you do, this church will just go fire, man. If you get this, Every time we come together, this place will just be electric with God's atmosphere. Your home will be like that. Your workplace will be like that. 
It's spirit and truth that the Father is after. That word spirit is the, there, there's a couple ways of talking about it, but it's breath. It's, it's the ruach. It's the breath of God, spirit. It is the, the function of your inner world. See, you, you just take your fingers like that, okay? Like you're going to pinch. And now look at your neighbor with kindness in your eyes and pinch him in the arm, okay? Pinch him. Pinch yourself. You're sitting near yourself. Listen, pinch them. That's physical. But if you did it hard enough, there was an inner reaction inside of them. There was thoughts that went through your mind. I watched you. Some of you went into crisis. I have to touch someone I don't know? No. Like, like how you're... Like your inner world is freaking out. Okay, the spirit of your mind, the essence of who you are is not physical. Okay, you have emotional experiences and you process experiences, but the breath of who you are, your spirit man, your spirit, the, the, the fire within you, the breath that leaves you when you flatline. The body is laying there in a bed and there's a heartbeat and there's breath and then suddenly there's no breath. The spirit is gone, but the flesh remains. That flesh is the exact same as it was 30 seconds earlier, but something's missing now. What's missing? The breath. God said, Jesus said, the Father is looking for people who will worship in spirit. Where do you encounter God? Is it on that mountain? Is it in Jerusalem? Is it that that church? Is it, is it in a certain circumstance? No. Where you encounter God is in the breath. The word truth there, where truth is, is the authentic core. It's the foundation. It's the root system. It's the, it's the reality. It's the core of who you are. The real you in your real centered self in the breath of God, the spark of life that exists in the real you. That is where the Father wants to encounter you. Right here. Right here. Your inner man. That's where he wants to encounter you. That breath of life, spirit, the authentic breath. And listen, what's amazing about this is when we talk to one another and we give breath, we give voice to what's going on in our hearts, it creates intimacy with people. It creates connection with people. If you open up and you share about your day with your spouse, or you had a hard day and you begin to talk to them about it, and you open up in authenticity and you share breath to breath, there'll be a connectedness that takes place in that moment. You are imparting life to them and they to you. Huh. Jesus for three years imparted life to his disciples. Jesus for three years looked at them in the eyeballs face to face and breathed on them. Jesus encountered and he told stories. Listen, those stories of who he is and what he's done and the authentic version of you, when you share a story out of that place, you are imparting to someone who you are. There's an offense right now with the younger generation because people assume who they are. I don't know why it's such a hypersensitivity, but there's a, there's a hypersensitivity around people misunderstanding who they are. And so if a parent comes in and assumes something about their child and they just say it as if it's true, wow, you, you're violating something. There's something going on there. This generation is longing to be known and to know. Spirit and truth, this is what the Father wants. Spirit and truth. Is it Jerusalem? No. 
Where is it? Spirit. That's where the Father wants to encounter you. You're able to encounter God through sincere and authentic heart connection where your breath of life is where God encounters you. It's not in a place. On the day of Pentecost, when God breathed violently into the world, he gave access to everyone to this. John chapter 6. Look at John chapter 6. Quit asking questions. Keep listening. You can do this. Come on. We got this. Y'all, this, what I'm sharing with you today, it really will change your life. You grab hold of this. John 6, 60. It's a weird moment. Jesus just got up to the crowd. He looked at the crowd, thousands of people, baby. And he says to them, hey, if you want to be a part of me, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. <laughs> you you got to, we're going to have a buffet and it's me. <laughs> you got to eat my flesh, you got to drink my blood. And the people listening to this and they're like, what? Like, you know, this is, this is a weird statement. This is pretty hard. What do you mean? No explanation. You got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Verse 60, many of the disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a difficult statement. <laughs> Who can listen to it? Jesus, conscious of what his disciples were grumbling, said to them, does this cause you to stumble? Do I offend? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Whoa, what are you talking about? Okay, now what if I prove that I'm the son of God? I prove it to you. And I'm telling you, eat my flesh and drink my blood. This is how you have a part of me. If you don't do this, you can have no part of me. If I ascend into heaven, you see that whole thing happen. Are you going to take me seriously then? Or, or is there something happening here? There's something offense that's standing in the way. Jesus said, what then if I do that? And then he says this statement. He says, it's the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. It is the spirit in Christ that imparts life. Eating his body won't do anything. That's what he's saying. He's explaining to them. They're offended and they're like, peace, I'm out. And he slows it down and he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm a, like, if you watch me ascend into heaven and I prove this, I need you to understand that from spirit, I impart life. If you eat my physical body, it's not going to profit you anything. He's, he's telling them, listen, I'm not talking about you actually eating me. The spirit gives life. The flesh won't profit anything. It won't be the physical things you do that brings you into encounter with God. It is not the actions that bring you into encounter with God. If I just fast for five days and I go to some special conference and I experience this thing, then I'll encounter God. No, you won't. That's not where you encounter God. It is the spirit that imparts life. It's the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words, listen, the words that I have spoken to you, they are spirit and life. So something in him telling them, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. There was spirit life in those words that he's trying to impart to them, but they could not receive. And then it says, there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were and that they did not believe. And who it was that would betray him and he was saying to them, for this reason, I've said to you that no one can come to me unless it's been granted from the Father. As a result of this, many of the disciples withdrew and they stopped walking with him. Jesus says to them, 
listen, I know that you don't actually believe in me. And when he draws the conclusion, he goes, listen, it's spirit that I'm speaking to you, and you didn't receive spirit right now, and so I know you're not actually with me. And he says this to them, and it's at that point they go, uh, you know what, you're right, we don't actually believe that you're the son of God, and they begin to walk away. This is actually a pretty logical conversation. And then he turns to the 12. He turns to the 12, and he says to them, do you want to go away too? Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom should we go? For we experience eternal life when you talk. Where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. We believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One from God. And then Jesus said, did I myself not choose you, the 12? And yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, for he knew which one was going to betray him. Okay, y'all, I need you to draw these things together. It was in Jesus' words that he was imparting life. He said to us, the encounter with God is in spirit and in truth. Jesus himself united with the Father as he talks, as he shares stories, as he communicates. He imparts himself to people. How does he do that? It's in the breath. It's in the spirit to spirit. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody and you walked away and you went, wow, like that was so powerful. I felt life when I was talking to them. That was spirit to spirit. You felt connected to God when you were with them? That's a God thing. That's what was happening with the disciples. Every time Jesus talked, spirit to spirit was happening. I had a friend, his name is Jim Job. I, at the time, was not walking with the Lord at all. I mean, I was really like hardened in heart. I had chosen, I don't want to be a part of the church. I don't want to be walk with God. Just made the choice. We had a lot of junk going on in our lives in that time. Nicole and I were still married. We were separating. We were at the end of our marriage. We wanted nothing to do with each other. We were in brokenness and pain. And this guy, Jim Joe, I've told this story before, but he was a retired army colonel. Big, large man, 300 pounder, like 6'4", 6'6", big guy. I'm walking across the parking lot. And he's walking across the parking lot, and he screams out to me, Hey, airman, come here. And his voice carried that boom in it of like, Oop, person in authority, I had to listen. I walked over there, and he locked me up, right? He said, I had a dream with you in it. I saw you ministering to thousands of people. And God's presence was like coming, like you were the one standing on stages doing this. Now at the time, I was so broken. I was so angry. I was so covered in filth and just condemned in myself. But someone saw me. You know what I mean? They saw me. They saw through the junk. They saw past all the stuff. They saw me. And they spoke it to me. And when he spoke it to me, spirit and life leapt in the inside of me. Now, I didn't know it at the time, but that moment was the guarantee that I'm going to repent and turn back to the Lord at some point. It's a little bit of a journey between then, but that was the place of inception. Spirit and life. He communed spirit to me. He awakened something in me. He saw me, he spoke to it, life imparted to me, and it caused the deadness in me to jump back to life with hope. Could Jesus still love me? Are you kidding me? That thing came alive again. Do you understand what I'm saying? Y'all, spirit is released, communed with people. You are able to impart life. This is what Jesus wants from us. When you got saved... He came to live within you, spirit, sealing you. You became the temple or the place of communion with the living God. 
How does the Holy Spirit of God, who is in you like a river, flow out of you so that redemption can touch the world around you? How does that happen? How do we impart life to our lost loved ones who are bitter and don't want anything to do with church? How do we talk to our employees or the people that we work with where they are secular and they want nothing to do with God? How do we minister to a fallen generation that is so hypersensitive, always continuously posting to the world and trying to get people to affirm them, but continually misunderstood and has no idea who they are? How do we reach that generation? Y'all, spirit to spirit. Spirit, breath, you impart. We come together and we worship on a Sunday morning. We're worshiping and we're experiencing God's presence. See, you, you're opening your heart and you're, you're pouring out your heart. You're worshiping. You're, you're giving breath to who he is. We enthrone him in the praises of his people. We are participating in this. And, and if you're able to leave behind, to overcome, to let it go, to understand, nope, the blood of Jesus has redeemed you. You don't need to think about the stuff that you failed in. Just come boldly before the throne of grace. If you can leave that behind and you encounter in his presence, then there's this breath to breath, spirit to spirit thing that begins to happen. And life begins to come. He might show you pictures. He might give you images in your mind. He might bring stuff up and talk to you about your future. There's a whole bunch of stuff that can take place in this time of communion between you and God. That's meant to happen between us and us. Where we open up and we share, we impart the real you to people. Genuine affection, genuine care. We love one another. Genuine connectivity, genuine authentic care. If you value someone else's story, the scripture's pretty clear, there will be an impartation. You can, through their testimony, receive what God's done in their life into your life. For it is the testimony of Jesus that's the spirit of prophecy. Just layer it in. God talks to us. We have to respond like a father. You have to respond. He prompts your heart. If you'll respond and you'll ask questions, you'll draw near. Not harden your heart, not get defensive, not be mad because he's pointing something out. Talk to him. He's a loving father. He loves you so much. So when he talks to you about something, if you'll respond, it will open up a possibility, an opportunity for encounter, spirit to spirit, you'll begin to encounter God. The scripture says that the Father seeks those. He runs after those who do this. You just got to get real, got to get honest. The real you has got to talk to the real God. Salvation doesn't come from afar. It comes right here. Salvation happens when you turn your face to Jesus and you choose to believe what he has done and then out of your inner man, you confess that Jesus is Lord. If one believes and confesses, he shall be saved. You got saved like this. This is how you impart life to others. You want to see your kids saved? You want to see your kids come back to the Lord? Start talking to them about your authentic, real experiences in life. Get real. Stop preaching at them. No one needs another sermon. No one needs another sermon. Another story that has life on it? Oh, anybody can listen to those. My grandfather told me lots of stories about his days in World War II and his cowboying days. And so when I think about my grandfather, he lives on in those stories inside of me. Life got imparted, and I've received, and I'm walking out. I went into the military, chose to go into the service myself because my grandfather was in the service. 
That story prophesied my future, and I encountered God in it. To put a hand just on your own heart right now. I want you to hear something. This is Psalm 78. I'm going to read this passage to you, but I want you to hear it with new ears. Because God instructed his people to do this, and it releases something. And so here we are, Psalm 78, verse 1. Listen, my people, to my instruction. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. For I will open my mouth in a story, in a parable. And I'm going to talk to you about the stories of old. Which you've heard and you've known. Our fathers told us about what God did in the past. And so... We will not conceal them from our children, but we will tell to the generation to come all that God did and all that we praise him for. We'll talk about his strength and his wondrous works of what he has done for us. For he established a testimony in his people Jacob. He commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children and that the generation to come would know him, even the children yet to be born, that they would arise and tell it then to their children, that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of our God, but keep his commandments. Don't be like previous generation that was stubborn and rebellious. That generation did not prepare its own heart and they were not faithful to God. Friends, your story is the good news of salvation. It's not separate from it. What people need to hear Seth, could you just go ahead and begin to play? What people need to hear is how God encountered you. If you'll share that story with people, Jesus saved me. But not, listen, not the watered down version, the real version. Not, not the church version, not the PG-13, the R-rated version. The real one. They need to hear of where you were at and when you share and you talk to them about life and how Jesus touched you and redeemed you. Oh my, there is something that begins to fill that atmosphere. See, it's the atmosphere of the testimony. It prophesies the encounter with God, spirit to spirit. Spirit to spirit, the impartation of life. On Friday night, we were worshiping and this story was told to me and so I'm going to pass it on and a dad was in the prayer meeting and we were worshiping and a son came and the son showed up and from afar and when they saw each other the presence of the Lord came upon them and they began to hug each other and in the Lord's presence the ministry of God is reconciling fathers to sons, sons to fathers. And the presence of God is ministering in such a way that it's prophesying the future of what God's gonna do through their family. A restored family that loves one another, that lives in the presence of God. The dreams that are in their hearts will come to pass. God's doing a work in their family. Y'all, that's a prophetic word to you. God wants to reunite you with your children. He wants your hearts to be turned towards one another. He wants to see this generation come to know him. There's an atmosphere being set in the testimony of what God did in the Jesus people movement and beyond. We're living in a new day. And the Holy Spirit is wooing us. He's wooing us. And all you have to do is respond. Authentically, but respond.
Would you pray this with me right now? Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me right now? Give me eyes to see what you're saying, God. Just respond to him now. What's he doing? Okay, what's the response? It can be a question. It can be seeking understanding. It can, you can cry out for discernment. Lord, I don't know what to do. I can feel you moving, but I don't know what to do. Turn your hearts towards him. Y'all, he's here. He's here. He's here. Just all over the room, would you just stand to your feet? Just everybody, just begin to stand to your feet right now. Holy Spirit, would you come? I want you to pull up near somebody. Just put a hand on their shoulder, okay? Listen, this connected thing is real. You just, just be with somebody right now. Just don't be alone. Lord, what are you saying to us? What are you saying to me? God, would you touch their life? Just pray for them right now. Holy Spirit, would you touch their life? Holy Spirit, would you come upon them? Mark them in these days. Lord, we release mercy to one another. You're forgiven. Come on, would you just declare that to somebody? You're forgiven. Did you know that? You're forgiven. You're forgiven. Be washed, be cleansed. Jesus, we open the door. Come in, have fellowship with us. Jesus, spirit to spirit, Lord, we want to hear your voice talking through our friends and family. Spirit to spirit, God, the impartation of life. I saw the Lord coming upon people like the days of Gideon, where he put Gideon on like a glove, where his presence came and just overwhelmed you, where the Holy Spirit came upon you, and your spirit to spirit began to minister to others, and God's power began to move and touch people's lives. And Spirit to spirit, Lord, come and have your way. Come and have your way, God. Come and have your way, God. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. You're welcome here. You're welcome here. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. All right, Father, thank you for your people today. God, thank you that you would... God, fix, fix my sermon. Lord, would you please just take the words and help people to receive life from it, God. Lord, I thank you for that. We just bless, we bless, we bless one another. Come on, would you just bless that person you're praying for? I just bless you. The fullness of all that God has for your life, may you walk in it. May sickness and disease be far from you. May the fullness of his blessing manifest through your life. We bless you today. In the mighty name of Jesus, and everybody who dared to agree with that said, Amen. All right. Come on. Can we give a good clap to the Lord today?